Hello, everyone. You're listening to Crunch Squad. It's a podcast within a podcast wherein we discuss the rules, the mechanics, and the number crunching behind this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. I am Ned Wilcock, your host for Crunch Squad, and today I am joined by... Mickey, and I play Malamara on the podcast. Yes, but today we are not talking about anything related to Malamara or to Fleeple. Uh, we are covering an audience suggested, uh, one of our audience members, uh, Princess Bob in 81 on our Discord reached out to us and asked us if we could cover the Order of Scribes Wizard for, uh, well, it's a wizard subclass and it is a pretty juicy one, in fact. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of go back and forward uh, with these different traits that you get as a wizard of the Order of the Scribes. And the kind of just general idea behind the Order of the Scribes wizard is wizards in general are the wizards who get their magic from their books. And an Order of Scribes wizard is designed to be the bookiest possible iteration of the wizard. And so a lot of the abilities that they get are going to build upon the existing wizard abilities in some pretty cool ways. So we're going to start off with the Wizardly Quill. This is the first uh, of the features that you get starting at second level. As a bonus action, you can magically create a tiny quill in your free hand. The magic quill has the following properties. And some of these are kind of just more utility-based stuff, but some of them alter the different spellcasting abilities that the wizard has in some pretty cool ways. So first of all, the quill doesn't require ink, and you, when you write with it, it produces ink in a color of your choice on the writing surface. So that's just kind of nifty. You can write whenever you want without the need of ink to go along with it. The next one, this is a much more mechanical benefit. The time you must spend to copy a spell into your spellbook equals two minutes per spell level if you use the quill for the transcription. And then the final thing, also kind of a utility, is you can erase anything you write with the quill if you wave the feather over the text as a bonus action, provided the text is within five feet of you, and this quill disappears if you create another one or if you die. So uh, let's talk about the ways in which this ability kind of improves upon the standard ability that we get from the wizard. Absolutely. Originally in the base class of wizards, all wizards can do this. When you find a wizard spell of first level or higher, you can add it to your spell book if it is a level that you can prepare. Copying that spell into your spell book involves reproducing the basic form of the spell. For each level of the spell, the process takes two hours and 50 gold pieces. The cost represents the material components. You need to experiment with the spell to master it. You have to learn all the semantics, you know, all of that flavor stuff with it. But to be able to copy a spell into a book for a wizard, there is a time component and a material resource component. The quill changes one of those rules. Yeah, and one thing that we'll want to keep in mind as we continue to dig into this subclass is D&D is an exceptions-based game as far as the rules mm. go. Mm -hmm. The idea being that specific rules will supersede the more general rules. And you have to make sure you're looking at the specific wording when you're trying to figure out which part of this rule supersedes which other part of the rule. So the way that it's described here, it does modify the existing rule specifically in regards to the time it takes to cast the spell, only two minutes per level instead of two hours per level, but it doesn't say anything about the material cost. So we don't make any assumptions that this rule alters or supersedes the material cost in the base rule. At second level, you gain an ability called Awakened Spellbook. 
using specialty prepared inks and ancient incantations passed down by your wizardly order, you have awakened the arcane sentience within your spellbook. So, while you're holding the book, it grants you the following benefits. You can use the book as a spellcasting focus for your wizard spells, which I think is pretty cool, because most have either a material bag or a focus, and it felt like the wizard had his book and his staff, but that's kind of what we imagine, and so I like that this subclass allows you to use your book as a focus. You don't have to have an external focus. Yeah, it just simplifies and streamlines it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing it can do, when you cast a wizard spell with a spell slot, you can temporarily replace its damage type with a type that appears in another spell in your spell book, which magically alters the spell formula for that casting only. So when you cast that one spell, it's only for that one time, and the latter spell must be of the same level as, as the spell spot that you expended. So at third level, wizards can cast Fireball. We all love a Fireball. Um, but also another spell slot. So if you have Lightning Bolt, which is also a third level invocation spell in your book, you can instead cast a Lightning Ball. And for that casting, you can make that damage type Lightning, which is so cool when you're up against a red dragon and you want to cast a Fireball, but a red dragon is resistant to the fire, you can change the damage type. And I think that's so cool for a wizard. Yeah, my friend Christian... Uh, maybe Mickey's friend as well. I actually don't know how well you know Christian. I don't. I know his wife very well. I don't actually know him. Yeah, uh, he's a cool dude. He's over on Improv Tabletop. Yes. He played an Order of Scribes wizard in a campaign that I was in, and part of his way to kind of uh, game the system was he just made sure he had as many damage types as possible for each level in his spellbook. So for first level spells, it's like, okay, I want to have Burning Hands, I want to have Poison Splash, I want to have Magic Missile, etc., etc. And one of the great things about having a spell like Magic Missile there is it deals force damage, and very, very few enemies have resistance or immunity to force damage. So you cast your Burning Hands, and it deals damage in the spread, but instead of doing fire damage, force damage, baby. It's, it's a good way that they've kind of balanced this out. This is a type of mechanic that they've toyed around with in the past, uh, with various other iterations of wizard subclasses. Uh, but in this one, they've made it so it's not quite so overpowered. It is a much more balanced way of approaching it. So I, I like the sort of final way that it's presented here in the Scribe's Wizard. Yes, I like that it's not just any damage type. You don't just declare that your fireball is now an ice ball. It has to be another one that you've you've created. So you do have to have some planning with it. But thematically, which I love a good story, I love a good theme, I like that... You can have a wizard that is all about fire. He has it in his backstory or he has a, you know, whatever. And they only want to cast fire spells. As long as you have a fire type spell, you can apply it to all those damage types. I think there's a lot of cool flavor with this Awakened Spellbook thing. And the third bullet point of Awakened Spellbook is when you cast a wizard spell as a ritual, you can cast the spell's normal casting time rather than adding the 10 minutes to it. But once you use the benefit, you can't do so until you finish a long rest. So with your ritual casting, normally it would take, if it's one action, six seconds, you have 10 minutes plus that action. Mm -hmm. And so you can ritual cast, which does not expend a spell slot, without adding the 10 minutes to it. 
yeah, this is nice if you want to get like, you know, your Lehman's Tiny Hut, for example. You're, you need it coming up really, really quick instead of spending the time to build it or construct it around you. Or let's say your familiar dies in the middle of combat and you really need your familiar back. As long as you still have this available, your once per longer stability, boom, there you go. Instantly back. And you don't have to expend the spell slot because it is still a ritual at that point. I think, I think. When you cast a spell as a ritual, so with the ritual tag, you're still able to use it as a ritual. You just don't have to have the 10-minute time penalty on it. Um, and then finally, if necessary, you can replace the book over the course of a short rest by using your wizardly quill to write the arcane sigils in a blank book and a magic spell book to which you're attuned. And at the end of your rest, the spell book's consciousness is summoned to the new book, and that becomes your new spell book. And wherever the other spell book is, all the spells vanish from its pages. Mm-hmm. Will you tell us the difference between how a normal wizard would replace their spellbook versus an awakened spellbook. Yeah, this is kind of a niche sort of situation. Uh, Not many wizards run into the kind of situation where they lose their spellbook, but if you've got a particularly conniving DM, they might be like, oh, well, this person's going to try and steal your spellbook. Maybe it's a rival wizard. They want the spells that are in your spellbook, so they steal it. Suddenly, you know, you still have the spells that you prepared before you lost your spellbook because the way it works with wizards is every morning when you wake up, you prepare the spells that you are able to cast for that day. Right. Um, And so you hold on to those, but you lose access. Like if you didn't prepare fireball that morning, you can't cast fireball until you get your spellbook back. Now it is a real hassle to try and replace a spellbook. We talked a little bit about the rules for copying a spell into a spellbook. Takes two hours per spell level and also 50 gold pieces per spell level. It's a little bit easier if you have that uh, awakened quill, that magical quill there. But the way that you would replace your entire spellbook is basically you have to copy each and every single spell that you have prepared back into a new book. And so let's say that you're a, you know, ninth level wizard and you've got some fifth level spells that you want to copy into the spellbook. That means you're spending 10 hours and 500 gold pieces, something like that, to just to copy one spell and that it doesn't count all of your other spells you have prepared. So this takes that whole big hassle and just says, nope, you just take a short rest, you got your quill, write it into a book, and boom, you got your spell book back. Which knowing that, I feel like as a DM, I would want to then play with that. Because as a DM, I've played a wizard before, and I feel like losing that spell book, it is a huge investment to lose it, and so you want to hold on to it at all costs. And I don't feel like a lot of DMs would take the spell book, but knowing that your wizard can just boom, copy it in a short rest... I feel like there's a little bit more play there if your DM is aware of your abilities and, you know, one more thing to shove into your DM's brain that that is a possibility that could make for some really good role playing or a really good stake to to throw at your players. Yeah. And it's also a nice kind of like, you know, neener neener to the person who stole your spellbook to try and steal your spells, because once you have transferred the consciousness of your spellbook into your new book, if the previous book still existed somewhere, all the spells vanish from its pages. Yep. Now, your spellbook doesn't just stay in this form. As you level up, you start to gain more and more new things that your spellbook can do. So starting at sixth level, you gain a feature called Manifest Mind. And there's a lot of stuff going on here. So we're going to just take it kind of like bullet point by bullet point. The kind of 
vibe here is the spirit that exists within your spellbook kind of becomes sort of like a familiar. It has a manifestation that appears next to you. So you conjure forth the mind of your awakened spellbook as a bonus action while the book is on your person. You can cause the mind of it to manifest as a tiny spectral object hovering in an unoccupied space of your choice within 60 feet of you. The spectral mind is intangible and doesn't occupy its space, so it can't take damage, that's nice. And it also sheds dim light in a 10-foot radius, that's also nice. Gives you a little bit of utility there. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a ghostly tome, a cascade of text, or a scholar from the past, your choice. So this could be a fun opportunity to be like, man, my, uh, my old teacher from back at the wizard university who died in the dragon wars, blah, blah, blah. I really miss that teacher. So I'm going to like honor their memory by having the mind of my spellbook manifest as the visage of this person who taught me all of my wizard stuff. That's some really cool, like RP potential there. Yeah. Now, next thing you get while manifested, the spectral mind can hear and see and has dark vision with a range of 60 feet. The mind can telepathically share with you what it sees and hears no action required. So again, we're getting some of that familiar-esque sort of thing. This thing can, uh, it can scope out the scene for you a little bit. The next thing it can do is whenever you cast a wizard spell on your turn, you can cast it as if you were in the spectral mind space instead of your own using its senses. You can do so a number of times per day equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So this could be great for like, you know, setting up an ambush maybe. You are in the back of the dark room. You have your spellbook's manifested mind near the entrance of the room. And as soon as the bad guy comes walking in, you cast fireball as if you were in the location of your spellbook. And boom, you're able to avoid any of the damage. You're able to stay kind of back in the shadows, hidden away. They might not be able to figure out where you are based on you know the fact that it was cast from over here. So there's a lot of fun ways you can sort of mess around with your opponents with this. This Order of the Scribes subclass is found in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And I feel like it's, I know it's also found in an Echo Knight. I'm not sure if there are other subclasses, but I feel like Tasha's has some of these cool subclasses where when you conjure up for an Echo Knight, it's an Echo. The wizard has their their spiritually awakened mind or whatever, that you can cast it from another location. I think that's interesting that Tasha has a couple examples and seeing that expand in the D&D world that... If you're a squishy little wizard there in the back with your glass cannon, you can also cast it from over there. Yeah, that's something I've kind of found with Fleeple a little bit is like having Star Platinum as one of my kind of main go-tos. I think especially to the battle with Arathator when he was running away and I was like, okay, I can't reach him, but if I cast Star Platinum, Star Platinum can then reach him. So just giving you a little bit more breadth, a little bit more control over the space that you're working in is real nice. Absolutely. Now, the next thing, we're not done with this sixth level feature yet. We continue. As a bonus action, you can cause the spectral mind to hover up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space that you or it can see, and it can pass through creatures, but not objects. So this, again, gives you a bit more control over the space. You don't have to just stick your spectral mind in one location. It doesn't have to be within a certain range of view at all times. Uh, you can move it around a little bit, though I guess when I say it doesn't have to be within a certain range, there is a little caveat here that I should mention because it stops manifesting if it's ever more than 300 feet away from you. So you gotta keep it within that range, but aside from that, you can move it around as you please. Some other ways it might stop manifesting is if someone casts Dispel Magic on it, if the Awakened Spellbook is destroyed, if you die, or if you dismiss the Spectral Mind as a bonus action. 
And then the final thing we get with this feature is once you conjure the mind, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest, unless you expend a spell slot of any level to conjure it again. At 10th level, you gain the Master Scrivener. Whenever you finish a long rest, you can create one magic scroll by touching your wizardly quill to a blank piece of paper or parchment and causing one spell from your awakened spellbook to be copied to that scroll. And the spellbook must be within five feet of you when you make the scroll, so make sure you're looking in your book when you're trying to make it. The chosen spell must be of a first or second level and have a casting time of one action, so no ritual casting from this. Once in the scroll, the spell's power is enhanced, counting as one level higher than normal. You can cast the spell from the scroll by reading it as an action. The scroll is unintelligible to anyone else, and the spell vanishes from the scroll when you cast it or when you finish your next long rest. You are also adept at crafting spell scrolls, which are described in the treasure chapter of the Dungeon Master Guide. So if you take the subclass, definitely go check out the treasure chapter of the Dungeon Master's Guide. The golden time you must spend to make such a scroll are halved if you use your wizardly quill. So it seems kind of like an Iune stone. You create a spell scroll specifically for you of a spell that's first or second level, but it casts it one level higher automatically, so it doesn't expend one of your spell slots. It's just a scroll that you keep during the day. Yeah, we're seeing a bit of a repeating idea here, starting with our second level feature with the Awakened Spellbook, where you can cast that ritual spell just mm -hmm. as an action, but without requiring the spell slot. Now, here you've got the spell scroll. These are two different ways in which you essentially get a free spell that you can cast once per long rest. Don't have to expend a spell slot. And in the case of the Master Scrivener, it's an even better spell than you would have gotten otherwise. I love any kind of feature that allows me as a spellcaster to use extra spells. Mm -hmm. Those spell slots are few and precious. And so I love it whenever an ability or an item gives you an extra spell slot or to cancel out using one. Mm -hmm. And I do want to touch on uh, as well the crafting bit. If you want to find kind of the more fleshed out rules for scribing spell scrolls in D&D &D 5e, they're in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. On page 133, if you happen to have your copy of Xanathar's Guide to Everything in front of you, uh, the idea here is that similar to like if you're copying a spell into your spellbook, when you're creating a spell scroll, there is a time requirement and there is a material cost that goes into that. Uh, but it is much more expensive, both in terms of time and money, to create a spell scroll than it is to copy one into your spellbook. So if you want to make a first level spell scroll, it's going to take you one day and cost you 25 gold pieces. And of course, this has to be a spell that you already know and that you can cast. But then it gets pretty darn expensive pretty darn quickly. So like just going up from first level to third level, if you want to make a spell scroll of fireball, it's going to cost you an entire work week and 500 gold pieces. Whoa. That is a lot of time that you could be spending doing a lot of other stuff. Yeah. So when you gain this Master Scrivener feature, cuts the time and the material cost in half. So it makes it a little bit more viable to actually be creating spell scrolls. And a little bit different to the spell scroll. This is just your spell scroll. It's not something that anybody can read. It's not one that you can make a special level two spell and hand it to your 
cleric and let him cast it. You have to cast it yourself. Well, insofar as I understand it, the the once per long rest, that is a special scroll that's just for you, but the other part of it where you cut the material and time components in half, that's just applied to the regular spell scroll crafting rules. So one of the scrolls is only for you, but the other scrolls can be for your friend if you want to. Yeah, spell scrolls, they're they're tricky. Uh, a lot trickier than I realized. It absolutely just like a month or so ago, I think, uh, we had a big conversation about spell scrolls in the patron discord and I suddenly realized, wow, I've been DMing this game for years and I did not really know how spell scrolls worked very well. We started running across them in our iCast Fireball main campaign and so we needed to start looking into them. Yeah, it's a uh, oh, spell scrolls. It's a thing. It's a whole thing. But when you're an Order of Scribes wizard, it's a little bit less of a thing. It's a little bit less of a thing. <laughs> yep. Okay, and now we're going to get to our final feature for the Order of Scribes, One with the Word. This is our 14th level feature. Your connection to your Awakened Spellbook has become so profound that your soul has become entwined with it. While the book is on your person, you have advantage on all Intelligence Arcana checks, as the Spellbook helps you remember magical lore. That's very nice. As, you know, Fleeple with that giant rune on his forehead, advantage on Arcana checks at all times. That's pretty great. I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Now, the other thing you get with this feature is pretty big. It's pretty wild. It's a, it's very much a risk-reward sort of situation that you're probably only going to want to use in pretty dire circumstances. So, if you take damage while your spellbook's mind is manifested, you can prevent all of that damage to you by using your reaction to dismiss the spectral mind, using its magic to save yourself. Now, this is pretty good. If you are in, you know, an ancient red dragon's fire blast and you fail your dexterity saving throw, you're going to take 26d6 damage, I think is what it is. Oh! Yeah, it's bad. It's not good. And you're a wizard. You don't have a lot of, sp you don't have a lot of hit points. So it can be very tempting at this point to use this feature. But here's the risk that comes with this. When you use this feature to negate all of that damage, you dismiss your spellbook's mind, you roll 3d6, and the spellbook temp temporarily loses spells of your choice that have a combined spell level equal to that roll or higher. So, for example, if the roll's total is 9, then the spells vanish from your book that have a combined level of at least 9, which means it could be one ninth level spell, it could be three third level spells, or some other combination. So, one, you're losing the ability to cast these spells, but also, if there aren't enough spells in the book to cover this cost, you drop to zero hit points. Oh. Can you imagine using it and then dropping? Oh, no. It would be real bad. It would be really, really unfortunate. Now, chances are that it probably won't happen. Probably won't happen. Like, you're... You're going to have, by the time you reach 14th level, you're going to have a good number of spells in your spell book. But if you're using this multiple times and you're losing a bunch of spells, that's when it starts to get difficult. Now, you can only use this reaction once per long rest, but the way that you regain those spells is you have to take 1d6 long rests. And until you finish those 1d6 long rests, you are incapable of casting the lost spells, even if you find them on a spell scroll or in another spell book. But after you finish that required number of rests, the spells then reappear in your spell book. So, like I said, risk reward. I love a good risk reward in D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. I love them. 
Yeah, and that's just one thing I'm going to plug real quick. As I've been listening to uh, Jeremy Crawford talking about the updates that they're making in the 2024 rules, they are playing around a lot more with risk-reward. They're building it into more of the core features of the classes. So that's something I'm very excited to see uh, how that comes up in play when those books eventually get released. We don't know exactly when in 2024, but it's, it's coming. It's close. And uh, that is the Order of the Scribes Wizard. One single subclass that has a lot of stuff going on. Holy cow. You gotta love the new subclasses in Tasha's. Yeah. They have some cool ones. Yeah, there's, oh my gosh. Uh, Wizards especially, there's so much cool stuff you can do with them. Like just even in the core rulebook, there's one subclass for each of the different schools of magic. Then we've got everything in Tasha's Cauldron. We've got everything in Xanathar's Guide. There, I... I want to say, I'm not entirely sure, but off the top of my head, I think it might be wizards that have the most official subclass options. It might be clerics. I don't know for 100% sure off the top of my head, but definitely no shortage of options with wizards. And like we already talked about when we had Josh on doing the Bladesinger, talking about how that subclass works, it takes the core rules and shifts them, twists them in some really, really interesting ways to give you a much more distinct kind of wizard and we see that as well with the order of the scribes for sure yeah i really like that about the wizards that it is so much about the flavor i feel like Mm -hmm. a lot all of their subclasses are very much uh themed especially because they do have specific classes subclasses based on the different schools of magic um have you ever played a wizard Ned? I did play a wizard uh, for a little bit, for about half a year, I want to say. In fact, our friend Christian, who I mentioned earlier, he was running that campaign. And, oh gosh, which subclass did I play? I think it was a divination wizard. Divination wizards are great because they have that thing where you uh, you pre-roll a couple d20s at the beginning of the day, and then at any time throughout the day, you can use your reaction to replace another person's roll with one of the d20s that you rolled at the beginning of the day. That's pretty That's great. That's cool. I played an enchantress wizard. Mm. She was a tabaxi, so she used her her tail and her, you know, feminine wiles to be an enchantress. All of those charm spells. Yeah, it's especially important, I think, for the wizard that the spell cl- that the subclasses are so flavorful in that the core mechanics of the wizard it really is the simplest of the spellcasters. Like sure. with druids, you've got wild shape. With bards, you've got bardic inspiration. With sorcerers, you've got meta magic and all this stuff. Whereas with the wizards, the core abilities is basically just like, hey man, you can cast spells. You can cast a lot of them. You can cast them really well. So that's why we have to really lean into the flavor to make each of these subclasses feel so unique. Absolutely. Wizards, they're a fun class. They're great. Uh, especially when you get up to those high levels, ninth level spells. Oh yeah, glass cannons for sure. Yeah, oh, man, I I have had a ninth level wizard in a campaign before, and it was it was Outrageous. wild. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> so yeah, wizards they on, on the surface they may feel like they're not quite as flavorful as a warlock or a sorcerer or what have you, but man, they're good. They're they're just real good at what they do. Well, everybody, uh, that's all we have to say about the Scribes Wizard. So thank you for joining us here in this week's episode of Crunch Squad. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed geeking out about wizards. So from wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps boost our ratings throughout each podcast service. It puts our show on other people's recommended feeds and it lets us know that you like what we're doing. 
Now, if you want to write something a little longer than a review, you could also email us at iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we're hoping to get the word out there and set this podcast on fire. Now, to get the most recent up-to-date content from all of us here, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and I think that's the only places we are these days. I know that Thomas has joked about us getting a LinkedIn someday, but I... We don't definitely don't have a LinkedIn. Probably will never have a LinkedIn. We don't have a Wikipedia page. I looked into that, and it's too hard to start a Wikipedia page. We have a Facebook. We have a Facebook. Yeah, find us in find us in those places. <laughs> uh, there, you can get possible sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, interesting insights from the players in DM, and behind the scenes shots of us making this incredibly fun world. We also have our Patreon. That's a good place to get in touch with us. You could, like Princess Bob in 81, uh, suggest something for us to talk about in a Crunch Squad, and uh, we'll get around to it. Uh, I know that there are some of you who have also requested certain other Crunch Squads. Don't worry, we have taken note of those, and we will get to them eventually. Some of them we might be holding off on for reasons. Reasons. For reasons, Mm. yes. Mysterious reasons that I'm not going to dig into right now. But (laughs) you will find out eventually. Now, uh, we just want to give a quick shout out to our sister podcast, Improv Tabletop, because that's what our outro script here wants me to do. Hi, guys. I'm Ned. I host a podcast called Improv Tabletop. (laughs) We've done some Avatar stuff. Currently, we're back into our fate campaigns. In fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, next month, the month of December 2023... You can listen to Thomas along with Heather and Caleb, who played Brick and Mortar in some of our, in that fun little side arc there. They are going to be the players in a campaign called Pride and Prejudice and Puppets. It is Jane Austen with Muppets. Fabulous. Yes, we've already recorded the first two episodes and it is ridiculous. It's crazy, but it's so, so good. Oh man, like if you, if you love hearing Thomas as a DM, you're the he gets so immensely chaotic when he's mm-hmm. a player like Absolutely. If, if you think that some of the stuff that i do are is a little off the wall as a player you haven't <laughs> seen thomas as a player he <laughs> is ridiculous but in the best way possible now lastly please like subscribe and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventures but until next time i'm ned the host for crunch squad and joining me tonight has been i'm mickey and i play malamara on icast fireball Keep the fire going, everybody, and we'll see you next time.